Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted, the Christ Central Festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends, enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom, transforming the world, and reaching nations, making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Okay, welcome everybody. Welcome to this uh, Life Zone where we're looking at issues of engagement with society around us. We had a great session yesterday looking at immigration and uh, refugees and asylum-seeking issues with my friend Dave Smith from Manchester. Um, And this this, uh, zone is being run um, under the umbrella of Jubilee Plus. So I'm just going to give you a couple of quick adverts just before I introduce our speaker today. Uh, This year, as it happens, the Jubilee Plus National Conference is in the north. It's in the northeast. It's in Darlington. You've had one of these flyers. And we have Krish Kandaya as our guest speaker. Some tremendous seminars in all sorts of key areas. Great opportunity for networking. Can I personally invite you to come and join us? Phil Hilston will be our host. Um, If you're in the bookshop, you may be interested in the Jubilee Plus book we published uh, last year, The Myth of the Undeserving Poor. Um, this isn't it, by the way, um, but, it, but, the, but that's the nearest I can get, um, which looks at social attitudes towards uh, poverty and need in, in our country. We're, we're writing a, a follow-up book on that right now. And if you're interested in uh, connecting with Jubilee Plus, we have monthly e-news approximately, and we can keep you in touch with what we're doing. You can sign up for our emails by filling in this form on the table over to your left, which I'd love you to do. Um, at the end of uh, the session today. Great. Well, thank you for coming. We're 15 minutes late. Uh, We'll finish 15 minutes later. So if you are a parent who needs to go or whatever, uh, do slip out quietly if you need to a bit earlier. But we will finish at quarter to one rather than half past 12. That's the official position from the management under whose authority I'm functioning. Uh, We've got signing here taking place um, on my left here at the front. We also have facility for um, uh, the, the, the hearing here for anyone uh, with, uh, who needs this, and we believe someone might be here, so there's a thing there for you. Okay, so um, I'm very, very delighted that uh, my friend Topic Olioso from London, who leads a large uh, and very diverse church in London, uh, is willing to do a seminar. When I heard he was coming to be a main speaker, I contacted him and said, Toppy, could you double up and do a seminar for us, looking at the question of cultural diversity, racial diversity, building that in the context of the local church. So what we're going to do today, um, Toppy will address this topic for the first half, and then we're going to do Q&A. Um, so there's time for questions and discussion. Um, but first of all, could you give a really warm welcome to Toppy Colioso? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> good morning. Well, good morning to you all. Thanks for being here. Uh, certainly a joy for me to be here. I got in just this morning and I had the privilege of uh, 
participating a little bit in all that happened there, so just thank God for it all. Um, the topic, I'm going to try to do this. I hope it works. If it works, okay, good. Uh, the topic that um, Martin has beaten into my head and forced me to speak on <coughs> is building diverse church communities in a multicultural society. Maybe before I get into that, I just want to say um, the work of Jubilee Plus really thrills me, and uh, I love it uh, in our church. It is probably one of the primary places that we learn from in the things that we do, and we have many opportunities, but we choose to learn from there, and it's so contextualized and so effective for us. So I think the person who runs our food bank and all those things with one of our elders have attended your conferences and so on each time, and we'll attend this in Darlington as well. The point there to say, if anyone wants to come to me to say, working, having a kingdom mindset, which is critical for anyone who will be a leader at any church that will be a church that helps to make the difference God wants to make in the earth. It will have to go beyond having good church Sunday morning moments. As good as those things are, the making of disciples in the end is that people become kingdom agents functioning out there in society and changing the world for good, which is the uh, which is the journey that God is on and bringing us into. If we just remain enclaves, shut up within with good moments, the world, we're basically saying to the world to go to hell. We don't get to say that. And the God who made them never is saying that. He loves and wanted to bring people back to himself. So uh, the work of, he didn't ask me to say all this, by the way. But I am. I think, to be honest, because it's him, is half the reason I'm here. Because I love what they do, and I just want to impress it on you, especially if you are leaders. Uh, one of the best things you can do is learn from those who really do know, and then we do a good job of it all. But Lord, we thank you for the joy of this day, the prospects of your goodness to us in another day. How kind and gracious you are. Thank you for all that's happened already. But you alone know all the good things you have impregnated this day with. May we receive it all, I pray. And as we come to talk about these important issues, give wisdom from above, not from below, so that at the end of it we be edified and Jesus be glorified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Building diverse church communities in a multicultural society. Well, as you can see, my, uh, by the way, it says my name is Toppy, which is what everybody calls me, which is just great. Uh, but you just need to know that the correct pronunciation of my name is not Toppy, it is Tokwe. And even Tokwe is, uh, is a shortened form of the full name, now, <laughs> yeah, so the reason I don't give people that name 
is because, you know, people have things to do. <laughs> and, uh, and, that, and that. So Africans give long names and many names and so on. But uh, everyone calls me Toppy, and uh, maybe later on I'll come to say why I love that. Uh, but I'm a Nigerian, born in Nigeria. I've lived in this country for most of my life now. I have the privilege of leading a church along with others in London, Jubilee Church London, which is a part of New Frontiers. And so, um, uh, and it, the church is a diverse church with uh, about 70 plus nations in it. And so, the issue of diversity is not a good idea that somebody that we just want to be involved in. It becomes a necessary thing and a biblical thing. And so there's a biblical mandate upon us all to be involved in this, to learn, to grow in it, and to do the right thing. Because it becomes, it makes the church a powerful evangel for the world. When they see how different people of different races and so on can coexist, not conditioned by force, but because they have the same focus, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, they see how much they show love one for another, and by this shall all men know you are mine. And so this is an important thing for us. The clash of cultures is always an interesting thing, but uh, one thing I know for sure, God loves diversity. Having lived in Africa, having lived in the West, having lived on both sides of the divide, an ideal I'm always speaking to one people group or another. I, I, I know what it's like to walk to and fro the, the divide. And I can say this to you for sure, also biblically, God loves diversity. It's an interesting thing. Anytime I have friends from, uh, uh, from, from usually from the States, I guess, they'll visit this country. And if, especially if they've come from hot, arid parts of the States, you know, LA, California and so on. And they come here, uh, they, they, they love the weather because it's all hot over there. They're like, oh, they like it here, you know. And then, and then this is the bit that gets me. I will drive them through some part. And they just love the greenery of these British Isles, you know. And they'll look at all these plants and make reference to it. And then they'll go as far as asking me things like, what's the name of this plant? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I just live here. I'm African. If I can't eat it, I'm not interested. So I don't, I don't know. But I'm referencing that because God loves diversity. From the very beginning of the Bible, first page in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, says how the vegetation, how it makes the vegetation and different plants. If you were God, you'd have probably made four or five different types. Not God. Hundreds and hundreds of types and species and so on. Why? Because he loves diversity. He loves it. In verse 20 of the same Genesis chapter 1, talks about the fact that he made the birds of the air and he made the beasts of the land and fish of the sea. Why? Because he loves diversity. And he wants each one to produce after its kind so that this thing will never end, but just proliferating the whole time. He loves it. So diversity comes from the very heart of Almighty God. comes from the heart of God. And then, of course, diversity in humanity between you and I. But unfortunately, human beings would learn to see these differences. 
that God has made. And when he made the differences, he didn't make them to collide with one another, but made them to sync with one another. So that the whole thing works in a coherent whole. That was his intention. So that from the beginning of Genesis, you're seeing diversity and you're seeing unity. Not all, we should not be a surprise because the God that we serve, you see there, even in the Trinity, you see diversity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you see unity that all, you never see them arguing with one another, you know, stressed out with one another, none of that. <laughs> it all just works together. And God having made this, you would think that human beings would look at these differences and rejoice in it. But sadly, that is not the case. The human beings would learn to see these differences and they would learn to use them for evil and for wickedness and for hatredness. The black skin of the African, the white skin of the Caucasian, the brown pigmentation of the Asian, the unique and beautiful facial features of the Oriental, all these things made by God deliberately for beauty. But human beings will see those things as reasons to hate one another, to create an apartheid from each other. Six million Jews extinguished just because they were different. And in case you think the issue is just racism, you go to parts of Africa where you see the... <clears throat> The, 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 uh, the Hutus and the Tutsis, people who lived side by side and were neighbors and got on. But in moments of frenzied wickedness, they slaughter each other so that in a period of about 90 days, over half a million people are killed. Those nations don't just recover like that. They don't just recover like that because a whole generation has seen their own parents slaughtered. So the issue is not just racism on the one hand or uh, tribalism on the other. If I could cut to the chase, it is sin resident in this fallen world in which we live. This fallen world in which we live. And the wars in Sierra Leone. Sorry, I, I didn't even check the time when I started. I'm a Nigerian. I could be here till Tuesday. <laughs> And I can't see any clock, so someone just tell me, if when you've had enough, just raise up your hand, I will ignore it, and we'll carry on. <laughs> it's worth watching the film, I think it's called Hotel Rwanda, I think, because it, it, it tries to capture some of the realities on the ground with the magic of Hollywood, but it at least educates a little bit some of the wickedness that happens in the world. You've seen some of people being smuggled from one place to another. I know I'm here to talk about diversity, but I'm trying to say that the, wherever we don't embrace diversity, something else is functioning on the inside of us, and that thing doesn't come from God. It comes from a fallen world. It is sin. Uh, it mustn't be found at all in us. The reason I talk about Sierra Leone is because during their wars, they would, one tribe would say to the other one, they would just cut their hands and cut their, and they would make fun of it. Do you want us to give you a long sleeve or a short sleeve? I mean, human beings being amputated and decapitated. People are basically wicked. Wicked. 
You go to parts of India where you have the caste system, which is a kind of class system, and there are people that are forever bedeviled by a level of life from which they will not come out and they will not be allowed to come out. Psalm 74 verse 20 says, Pay regard to the covenant, the scriptures, for the dark places of the earth are full of habitations of cruelty. There's cruelty in this world. There's darkness in this world. Dark places of the world are full of habitations of cruelty. It's into this darkness that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, steps down into darkness. We sing it often. The light of the world. And it begins to bring light where there has been darkness. And bringing release and freedom and cutting off chains that have bound people. And bringing them hope and letting them know the prospects of a blessed life because they are connected now to a blessed God. And the way that that work continues beyond the Acts of Apostles and whatever chapter 28, that you and I get to be chapter 29 and keep moving on the work of the gospel, he puts all that down to the church. That the church now becomes light in the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. People, people in darkness have seen a great light. I think that was just quoted this morning. Therefore, if the church is not light... You've got to say, like Jesus said, then what is the point of having it there? It is not enough for it to be light and then cover it within its own buildings. It must remove all the shackles and let it glow that people may see and then they come. Let us go to the house of the Lord, uh, Isaiah chapter 2, that he may teach us his ways. I really do believe that when the church is all it's supposed to be, actually it is so attractive that people ask questions when it's all it's supposed to be. And a part of it being all it's supposed to be, it goes out to the communities. So I like this thing, churches that change communities. Churches that represent God. So that if all of that is true, then you and I need to say, how now shall we live? What are the things that we must do? And with that, I want to give you five points um, that I think will help as we, at a practical level, what are the things that we ought to do. And a lot of them is speaking, I guess, to leaders, <clears throat> but it's speaking to anyone who has a heart for this, because you can lead in that area in, in the church where you serve and beyond. Number one, you need to be biblically persuaded. You need to be biblically persuaded. That is, you don't want to enter into this whole right. We want to be diverse. We need to be doing something. You don't want to enter into it just off the back of emotion. You want to enter into it because there is a deep conviction that springs from the scriptures. Everything we do needs to come from there or else we will be found out halfway down the road and it won't be good. You need to be biblically persuaded. And I'm biblically persuaded. Where I think, for example, if I could just walk you through a span of the scriptures, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, where he says, And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created him, male and female. So you see, again, Genesis chapter 1, the diversity that is there. Chapter 3 verse 20, And the man called uh, his wife um, 
mother, uh, Eve, because she was mother, she's mother of all that is living. There's a hint there that we all come from the same source. There's a hint that we all come from the same place. Or Malachi chapter 2 verse 10 that says, are we not all the same? Do we not all have the same father? Again, the hint is there on and on that we come from the same place. The point I'm trying to make is because we come from the same place, hating one another is antithetical to everything God had in mind. Or you think of uh, the book of Acts, you know it very well. Acts 17, the apostle Paul teaching and preaching there and talking to the people. And I love the way how he describes and talks about God, about the God who made the world uh, and everything in it, being, being, you know, Lord of all, heaven and earth. And that he doesn't live in temples uh, made by humans. Neither does he need to be served by man as though he needed anything. Seeing that he himself made everything. And he made from one man all the nations of the earth. <laughs> and he allotted to them periods and boundaries and dwelling places. If that they may seek after him and find him. For it is, for, though he is not far from us, for it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. I mean, it's a magni- that was a ser- magnificent sermon. But the point is this. From one man he made the nations. So... We are closer than the world wants us to believe, irrespective of our race. Because what joins us comes from a far deeper well than what we see at the peripheral. And then, of course, you see uh, Ephesians, you all know this, you know, by now. Uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by that you've been brought near. By the once far brought near by the blood of Christ, so that he is the reconciliating factor. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of, of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments, expressing the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. That's the line. Uh, in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God. That's the whole thing we're about reconciling back to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And then Revelation chapter 5, I know, and so the sang, worthy are you to take the scroll for you were, uh, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every, you know, tribe and people, from every tribe, I think, tribe, language, people, and nation. Revelation 5, Revelation 7, Revelation 7 verse 9 says the same thing. And so around the throne room of God, we're going to see different peoples and tribes and language. The point is this. You span the whole of the scriptures, you will see a God who having made diversity, loves it. And makes it function. And he alone is the one that can make it function together in unity. The point I'm trying to make here is you need to be biblically persuaded. Because if you're just emotionally persuaded or carried you will run out. It's like everything else in life. You, it's only so far, romantic, giddy, I like him, is going to carry a marriage through. You're going to need a bit more substance than, he just like, just like his hairstyle. You know, he looks like David Beckham. This is not going to work on the long run. You know, enjoy for five minutes, then get to the real issues. The real issues are found in the word of God. Can you say amen to that? Maybe she just bring it home a little bit. I know the case of a young couple 
young English couple. They got married, just want to do things for God, all fired up. They went to Africa. In this case, it was Nigeria. And having gone to the country, Nigeria, well, of course, you get there and, you know, the capital, every capital is, is pretty good. And then they wanted to see one of our churches in Nigeria. Uh, and, and, and the church is just a little bit out, not actually still in the capital. It's just a little further on. And as they got there, driving there, the girls just began to just, just freeze up a little bit. Just, it was, it was kind of getting a little darker in the evening. She would just get, they get there. The idea was they would get there, sleep overnight, get to meet the people, get to know them, love them, and then go back to where they, where they got there. And as they got there, the people there, they, you need to know when you go to these places, particularly Africans, this, they will give you what they wouldn't even give themselves. They'll give you the best food they have. They'll give you the best everything. They'll give everything to you. Because you have come to them. And there they are now. They give all this food. They give all this. And the girl, she's just not in a good way. He, he's trying to just help his wife a little bit. And she breaks down. And she just says, I'm sorry. I just can't stay. I just, she just couldn't stay. She was just in a bad way. The, just the difference is just scared. And in the end, that had to be sorted out by saying, it's okay, it's okay. And they had to move them back and take them back to it. Now, I, I'm not actually mad at that couple. You know, we all go through things sometimes. It's just not what you thought, what you expected. I think I'm a little upset about those who sent them because I don't think they prepared them. And I'm particularly broken by what it does to those who haven't you've come to them they're giving the best and in essence its word is their best is not enough well that leaves a bit of a scar so you cannot go on account of emotion alone there has to be such a deep conviction that it will carry you through every different stages and barriers because the barriers will come. So you need to be biblically persuaded. Number two, you need to teach it faithfully. Now, it needs to be taught faithfully. Um, um, again, for me, sometimes in different contexts and certainly even just at Jubilee Church with all these different nationalities, there are different ways people say handle diversity. One of such is, you know, you've got to learn this language, you've got to learn that language, you've got to learn... This one's ways you've got to learn. Okay, well, I think, I think that's worthy. I think it's worthy where you can. The only thing I've got to say is, you know, how many languages am I going to learn? You know, and how many different cultures am I going to memorize? And even having memorized three or four or five of them, you know, half the time I'm not forgetting even who I am. So, I don't decry that, and I don't abuse that. But I want to say, for me, most people think, you know, with 70 nations, ooh, you must have a lot of problems and different cultures. I, I, I actually do not worry. I do not worry about those things. What I do do as a leader, I bring them all to a focal point. A focal point where everyone has the privilege of looking upwards, of kneeling down, of worshipping. I bring them to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. As much as this may sound like a cop-out or just spiritualizing the whole thing, I don't even think the Bible offers us any other way. That we all have the privilege to come to Christ. And therefore, for every preacher needs to learn to preach Jesus 
passionately, powerfully, convincingly, relevantly. Because the more their eyes and their gaze look to him, their hands will come out and they'll hold each other. There'll be far more unity than you could ever calculate into existence. That's why it says, Colossians 1, uh, 27, I think it is, where it says, therefore, talking about Jesus Christ, he alone is able to reconcile all things to himself. So we don't get to try and reconcile all things on any other account. No, to him, he's able to reconcile all things, 120, to himself. We need to teach it passionately. Him, teach him. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, um, you would know the name, he's a, uh, and a you know, very into apologetics and just a brilliant mind in our age. I love him. He's so fantastically brilliant that uh, half the time when I listen to him, I'm like, I'm just glad he's on our side, you know. <laughs> he's one of those guys. <laughs> just glad he's on our side. But he tells a story when he's, uh, he's an Indian, uh, I believe, and he grew up in the Indian context. He lived in the West most of his life now. He talks about a little boy growing up. <clears throat> I think they had a gardener or something like that who, going back many decades now, who in their area where they were growing there was a cinema. And uh, uh, they brought a cinema, and uh, the film going to be shown. It was kind of like a new thing at that time, you know. No one knew these things. He said, and the gardener, heard, having heard about the cinema, uh, you know, he wanted to go and see. Because people told him, oh, yeah, you can see things. You can see. So he just intrigued. He just went, you know, kind of like a village guy. He just goes. But unfortunately, if the film was being shown here, if that's the screen, he kind of came somehow through the wrong door. He came through the back. So on coming through the back, you know, he comes through and he sees the projector. And the projector is beaming out all these lights. And in beaming out the lights are all these particles that are dancing around. And he just stands there amazed by the particle. He thinks that's the film. He thinks that's the cinema. And he just, he talks, so he's impressed by this. He's transfixed by this. So someone taps him, what are you doing? That's not it. He's like, look here. When he looks and he sees, oh, he sees what it's supposed to be. The problem half the time is that Jesus is not preached compellingly enough. If he is preached compellingly and people see him, they will forget all the silly little things they keep arguing about because they've seen one greater, grander, and better. Can you say amen to that? That's the way to do it, is to put Jesus way high all the time. I mean, I just said to them at Jubilee, I've got one sermon, it's called Jesus. That's where we're going every time. And I'm amazed. This gospel works, I'm telling you. People begin to love one another. Because there's an incarnation that begins to happen. They begin to become more Christ-like. Why? It's all they see. It's all they know. Then their hands come out. If you want to do it a different way, yeah, you go to this one everywhere, learn his language, do it. Then you go to that one, then you go to that one. You'll die early. <laughs> this is the better way. It's the Bible way. Number three, pursue it intentionally. I think it needs to be pursued intentionally. It needs to be uh, with everything that we have. I, I love, it's worth your while reading Acts chapter 20, 21, and 2023. Because there you see Paul now in trouble again, having been arrested and um, the foreign context is not in Jerusalem. And uh, he, he, anyway, there he is. And he, they're beating him up. 
They're beating him up. You know, he's taking Greeks into the synagogues. He's done. They're beating him up. And so the, the tribune of the area comes, the, you know, the mayor or something, comes and they deliver, get, get, take the guy apart. And they're taking him to the barracks. And as they're taking him to the barracks, Paul begins to speak in Greek. And the guy's like, oh, you speak Greek? He says, yes, I do. I speak Greek. So you speak, where are you from anyway? Are you the guy that caused problems before? He said, I'm not that guy. But he, he but all I'm going to say, you know, he connects with this guy by switching his language because he knows that guy speaks. And he said, just let me speak to the people. I know they hate me, but just let me speak to them for like a few minutes. And he listens to him. He finds that this doesn't sound like a horrible guy. He sounds like he's got his way with us. All right, you've got a few minutes. He walks him out. Paul gets to the front there and he he waves his hand and begins to speak to the people. Acts 21, I'm at now, I think. And he says, and he begins to speak to their fathers, brothers. But now he's speaking Hebrew. Or he's speaking the Hebrew language, he says. He's a kind of Aramaic. He's, he's speaking, now he switches language again. Why? He's addressing these people in a certain kind of way so that they can receive it. He says, and when they heard him, they all calmed down. He just he knew how to address fathers, brothers. He knew how to address them. I mean, it's amazing. And in the end, the tribune goes and gets him back. Okay, that's enough talking for today. And in the, he doesn't know what to do with this guy. Because the tribune, as it, he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to flog him. Okay, we'll give him 40 flogs and, you know, don't do it next time. And he's like, well, you can flog me if you want. Tell me. Since when was it okay to flog a Roman citizen? You're a Roman citizen? Oh, oh yes. Did I, not, did I forget to mention? <laughs> this is my paraphrasing, you know. <laughs> did I forget to mention? He said, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. He said, you're a Roman? He said, I had to buy my Roman citizenship. How did you buy your? He said, I didn't buy mine. He said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a native. Whoa, we can't flog this guy. I don't know what to do with this guy. Take him to, the, to, to their local court. Let them deal with it. Well, they get to the local court. Paul comes in. And now, in a few minutes, he's like, hang on a minute. Some of them are Pharisees. Some of them are Sadducees. Listen to his speech. Oh, brothers, my name is Saul. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. When they others heard he's a Pharisee, they're like, he's one of us. Before you know it, the Pharisees are angry at the Sadducees who are mad at the Pharisees. And Paul is just in the middle. They're fighting each other now. The point I'm trying to make is this. Paul is a master contextualizer. He knew with wisdom how to handle every situation. No wonder he wrote 1 Corinthians 9, To the Jew I became a Jew that I might win the Jew. To those under the law I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. I have become all things to all men that by all means to save some. That's intentionality. If we're going to do these things, we have to be so, so intentional. And we, we know that we're intentional because it will show in our preaching. There's a way that we preach that brings unity and gives people a kingdom mindset so that they can go beyond. Or else they just become inward focused, nitpicky, nitpicky over every little thing. Half the reason why churches are so nitpicky, gossipy, they haven't seen anything better. They're bored. They're bored. Okay, sorry. Let me not go there. 
<laughs> it will show in our prayer meetings where we're praying, not just for our needs, but for the whole world. It's imp- we cannot read newspapers anymore and just turn over the pages. Something turns on the inside of us and we bring it to the congregation and we pray about it. We reach out beyond ourselves. It will show up in our budgets. Now, there's some budget. It's, a lot, it's set aside because we are going to reach out in the name of God and be on mission no matter how cost-effective or non-cost-effective it may seem. And I might say, mission is not always cost-effective. The issue is if you have the deep conviction, you'll get on board and do it. You cannot allow yourself to be held back by the finances. That's ridiculous. Especially if you have a God like we serve. So we need to pursue this with intentionality. You know that you pursue with intentionality because there will be a degree of flexibility in all that you do. I remember at Jubilee, again, we have all these different nationalities. And uh, we have our small groups. Uh, we try to have diversity in everything that we do. We're that intentional. Diversity in everything that we do. And uh, in our small groups, instead of you know, just uh, anyone just like each other would be like, you know what, let's make sure that the diversity represented and different people. So it's all good, except I found out the Filipinos at Jubilee, you know, the Filipinos, they just, they like to stay together. They gravitate to one another, you know. At the end of the service, there they are together. You know, I'm like... I'm, you know, I, you know, I go to them, I befriend them, they you know, they like me and all of that. But I'm trying, you know, we try to put them into different small groups. It's like, we're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you won't die. Yes, we will. We'll die. You know? So, in the end, contrary to everything that I had taught and talked about, I'm like, just let them be. You know, let them live, let them thrive, let them... And, and so they were. You'd be like, hang on a minute, Toppy. You said this, now you're allowing this. I'm having to learn to be flexible. I am so passionate and so intentional about this multiculturalism thing. Whatever we need to do, we're going to have to do. So no one need make such a big deal. Well, they said this one day, now they said the other. Just grow up for a change. <laughs> Sorry about that. But grow up. <laughs> you know. This, this, is, this is critical. You know the interesting thing? After a while of the Filipinos being together, they love one another. After a while, they're like, you know, pastor, you know, we want other people in our group too. <laughs> See that? They want other. Where did they get that from? When they go around the church life and they see, they recognize, we want to be this. We don't want to be just this. So it works. It's why discipling a people is not just a classroom issue. It is demonstration of grace on a daily basis. Eventually, they imbibe it and they produce it. Okay, so we must be uh, persuaded uh, biblically. We must teach it faithfully. We must pursue it intentionally. And then we must build wisely. We must build wisely. Because it is by wisdom that a house is built. By understanding it is established. The Bible says that. Proverbs 24. So, in all that we do, we must build it. But there's, 
wisdom is needed and necessary if you put the wrong thing before the other thing you, this thing begins to unravel and be a mess so your good intentions are not good enough we still need wisdom and wisdom in leadership i will say this that wherever the heart is there the conviction is there the possibilities are there then you try to raise people up you're going to need diversity represented in the leadership this is important. Diversity represented in the leadership. Uh, it just helps a whole lot. And this is probably one of the toughest parts. Because uh, if you don't have diversity represented up there, it, it's just a different deal still, at least in the minds of people. So people have to see. People go a lot by what they see. And then the words you know, uh, crystallizes. So, we, we need to do that. Now, the challenge with that, is, I'm not saying just go find somebody from Albania. You from uh, leadership. <laughs> you will have more problems than you never thought about. <laughs> you know, and you would think the problem is diversity. No, it's not. It was your foolishness. So, you can't just go pick a person who is not ready. Therefore, make them ready. Therefore, you have to spend time with... Again, among the Filipino groups, they tend to like, we're just so, you know, they'll, they'll love to, they'll do whatever you tell them, and they'll cook for you as well. But when it comes to go to the front and lead, nobody wants to do that. Well, the thing is, I have so trained myself that any room I walk into, I decide there is a leader. Any people group I'm with, I decide there is a leader, because there is. So it's not a question. So I don't start with most, the average person comes to is there a leader? Wrong question. There is one. When you come with that mindset, it forces you to think carefully, crystallize your thoughts, and bring forth who is that leader. And so for me, with the Filipino group, I, I became their small group leader for a long season. I said, my life isn't busy enough. You know, I became the small group. Because I, I could probably find that person quicker, raise that person quicker. And I did. It nearly killed me. But I did. You know, and when I find who that person looks like, total access. Total access to me, to my house, has my cell phone number, call me, text me, whatever, anything. And, I, and then I'm going to disciple him one-to-one -one fast track as best I can. And then they begin to get there. And then they begin to... And leadership doesn't always have to mean eldership. It just means somebody sufficiently trained and discipled who can lead other people in the right way. And so we have that. But it takes, it takes everything you've got to make it go that way. So, yes, diversity is... I think one of the other problems with that is looking for the cues because sometimes, you know, people kind of... Uh, uh, you know, if you see two Nigerians greeting each other, it'd be like... Yes, yes, it's so loud, it's so feisty. It's so, when you see, you be like, oh my goodness, they're fighting. No, they're just saying hello. <laughs> they're just saying hello. Now to the average English guy who is nice and reserved, that kind of hello is just too feisty for him. Now the danger is we might look at that and think, well, I see aggression. But somebody else looks and sees passion. Learning to read the cues is not an easy thing, but it's a necessary thing. And we can talk about that later. Okay.
So leadership is, 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 is all this helpful so far? Anybody bored? Because I could cut this right short. Okay, no hands up. Okay, we're here till Tuesday. Second thing is worship. Uh, wor- worship is, well, you know a lot about worship. But, but even just this music side of worship, it goes much more to the core of who we are. We just don't sometimes realize it. You know, the th- because sometimes people's cultures is bound up in their food, their language, their songs, their literature, their history. It's bound up in all those things. And so if they only have music in church life and therefore worship songs that is so disconnected from who they are, they'll come, they'll be nice, they'll be decent, but there'll be a missing something in there. And so at best we can, we need to look at our worship song repertoire and think, what can we do? I drove in this morning, I parked in the car for a few moments, saw some things out, and I could hear the drums beating, and I could hear, there's no one, there's no one like you. Or did I just make that up? Okay, good. Because I have been known to dream sometimes. <laughs> so, um, you know, well, in a multicultural context, we need to learn to do things like that. Where I wasn't there, but I'm telling you, there is a way that people will come to and respond. And if anyone comes from a side of the world, a pl- part of the world where the, the beat of the music is like that, oh, they're just at home with this. It's a great... See, I could sing in the normal hymnal, classical way. Um, um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And if we just do it with the normal, you get it. But if we were to change it, to go, Amazing grace, I'll see the sun. Now, it's just a simple drum beat change. It works for the African. <laughs> yeah, it works for the Kenyan. I, you know, you're just, you hear that, you'll be like, I can do this. <laughs> and so, Learning to help the worship leaders not just go with the latest bang thing, but to come, you know, but to, but to help them, help people, let the juices of their spirit wake up and worship. It works. And I'm not, neither am I saying every Sunday now we need to think hard, oh my goodness, which, you know, Bambalela we did it last week, which one are we going <laughs> to? You know, we just can't bambalela again. Well, I'm not saying do this every week. I'm really not. Because, I'll tell you something, this is England. People speak English. And I encourage every single one of our people, you learn the language. You're not here to be a victim waiting to be happened to. You're here to be a missionary. So you have to learn. And people learn. And people are that. Look. They're in your churches, aren't they? They came. That walk is far harder than you imagine. Oh, they'll sing the songs. And they'll love the songs. But once in a while, just that beat helps unbelievably. Maybe that's enough to say on worship. Publicity, to be careful, some of the things that we put out, where you never want to project what you are not. But with wisdom, creativity, a lot of 
thoughtfulness, you can help people see who you want to become without presenting something that you're not. But who you do see. So it, says very, it can be very subtle in the, in the whole thing, but if you are careful, you can do this. But it does take wisdom, and it takes leadership to be involved. If you just lead it to the creative guy who went to university or blah de blah you're just going to get fancy lines that you don't get. Nobody gets. It might even look demonic. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, welcome is, um, uh, you know, to, you know, be sensitive. <laughs> Let me move on. Food. <coughs> oh, gosh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I have totally lost track of time. I, five more minutes. Yeah? Is that okay? Five more minutes. Okay. Um, uh, food, I would say, um, food is a big part of every culture, more than we, I think we realize. And learning to help people, uh, one of the best ways to create unity, just let everybody gather around food. They'll like each other. They will. Really, I wish I could tell every church leader, just get, find the budget and let everyone eat together, you know? They'll be happy with one another. All the things they're complaining about will melt away. It, it's a Bible way. So, uh, when the church jubilee was so much uh, smaller, I don't know, you know, 50, 60, 80 people, we used to have uh, this uh, bring your native food to church, you know, the international day we'll call it. Everybody comes and they bring their food and all of that, you know, it was all great. And uh, the Africans bring their food and so on. And I would train the congregation beforehand. Um, uh, you know, in a comedic way. Okay? When preachers take things too seriously, you're creating a different problem that isn't there. Just lack of wisdom. So you bring it to them as it's just us. We're family. And I let them know, okay, we're all bringing foods next week now. Just so you know, the Africans are going to bring some food you can just give it a go. <laughs> exactly. Just give, what did I just do there? I just let everyone know it might look awkward. Well, I'm the pastor, so it came from me. So take, it might look strange, and you're permitted to give it a go. In other words, you may not have to eat the whole thing. Everyone relaxes now. Yeah? And so, you know, on the day, everybody comes, you know, they bring their food, you know, and they, you know, you get your lovely... English guy is going to be bold now. He gets there to the African desk and they are. Ah. Unfortunately, now the food is a little slimy. <laughs> now he's stuck. What do I, I? He really doesn't want to eat this, you know. He's like, I love you, Jesus, but this. <laughs> you know, and he doesn't say that. It's going through his head. So I tell the African already, somebody walks to your table and they can't eat that food. Be the big brother. Love them. Be the one to say, you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to. Get them a packet of Twix or something by this side. <laughs> but the point is, the whole time you're trying to shepherd the congregation into a family. That's what it is. And it needs a shepherd to do that. And so on the day people come and they, I can eat this, I can't eat it. It's fine. Everything is fine. Then you go to the English desk. crisps <laughs> this is it this is what you bring crisps 
like, work with me here. I'm trying to help. Crisp, that's what we do. Yeah. So, you know, you know, following year, the English make an effort. What do we get? Quiche. I'm like, this, is, this doesn't look hell. It doesn't look right. But, by the way. but the point is, helping people eat together is like a big deal. And so creating that context, instead of just having small group with Bible study every day, make it the other way. And you'll be amazed how they merge and melt into one. All right. Language. Um, um, just to say that I would absolutely acknowledge different languages in, our, in the church. With, different, uh, with immigration, there are a lot increasing people who cannot speak the English language. But I will we'll get an interpreter. I'll hug them. I'll love them. Then by two weeks' time, you're learning English, my friend. You're learning English. Because I care about them. Every time they don't learn English, you're creating a ghetto mentality where on the days riots happen, they're the very one everyone is going to come target. Why? They never assimilated. So, you're going to learn the language. Pastor, I cannot speak. Yes, you can. And you're going to try. You know, I'm saying this. I can say this because I've seen it over and over again by God's grace really work. Friend, lady with us came from some part of the world, couldn't speak and everything. Saw her, I don't know, two Sundays ago. Hello there, Toppy. Hello, Pastor. I'm so happy. Fluent. And I thought, good. That's how it's supposed to be. And by the way, their children are now going to grow up in a context where English is going to be their first language. You have any idea what kind of apartheid is going to happen if mom cannot speak to the... Because with language also comes culture, also comes so many things. They have to learn the language. It's a good thing. Dress code. Um, Well, you know, the average African goes to church. You've seen him. Right? Or the average West Indian. You've seen him. You know, he goes in his suit. He has a tie. And he's taking this seriously. He looks like he's going for an interview. You know, you'd be like, oh my goodness. You know. The English guy, on the other hand, I mean, well, look at yourselves. You? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, English guy comes in his shorts and his T-shirt. He's good to go. If we're not careful, you can see they're not making an effort, or that's over the top. Or maybe there's a different narrative here. That the African, when he's going, thinks, if I was told to come see the king, come see the queen of England, I would put the best that I have on hand. How much more when I'm going there to be with God's house, to worship the living God, is where he's coming from, in his purest uh, expression. When you see the English guy coming, this is who I am. I'm just, I'm just glad to go to be before God, to go to the house. I mean, where in the Bible does it say, and this shall be thy dress code? It's not there. Therefore, teaching them to just appreciate, be who you are. The issue the Bible gives us is do all things moderately and with, I forget the word, do all things, sorry? Yeah, with respect, with uh, moderation. Do all things with moderation. That is, you know, think it through. Do all things also decently and in order. Corinthians says that. Those are the things that we follow. So, dress code. Now, how do I dress then? Because I got the African guy who wants me to wear a pink tie. Just not going to do it. 
Then you got the other people. Most of the time, my dress code is like this. It's a kind of small casual. I got my jeans on. Sometimes I'll have a jacket. I'll have a whatever. Sorry I'm going to this depth of explanations, but I think these things are helpful. Because the black guy that comes and he sees his pastor wearing shorts, sometimes short shorts, he's just thinking, <laughs> I don't want to come to this church. No matter how good he is, it's like I just don't. It just, you're putting extra barriers there. So you learn to remove the barriers until they can all see Christ. Not you, Christ. So you learn to calibrate the whole thing with wisdom. Finally, live it passionately. Well, I thought what I would... Once a year, we have the, um, what we call the International Day, and we celebrate our diversity. And we've done it for very many years now, and um, all of that. We bring food and so on. Well, now that the church is a little bit larger than it used to be, it's trickier. So now we, it takes us a lot to plan it, and we actually move out of our building and wherever we can, you know, we do it as best we can. And then we will call the nations one by one. So I would get all the nations, all of this is said beforehand. You want to be, you know, represent your nation, write it down ahead of time and go put your name with such and such. So on the day, I will come up, everybody, praise God, God is good. You know. Now we are one church in three locations. The other locations will come, we'll put them on a red bus, you know, a red bus. So it looks, you know, England and then they all come. We tell everyone, wear your native outfits. You know, I will plead with them, beg them, force them. I'll do whatever, you know, all of that. And then I'll say, welcome, everybody. I'll dress in all this stuff. It will be such a big deal. It's kind of like the highlight of the year for us at the church. And eventually they come, and then we'll sing all this song from different nations. Then we get to a portion. We're like, okay, now we're going to call the nations. Everybody's always loving this, you know. And the first nation is, you know, Albania. And they will play the Albanian music. And the Albanian guy comes with the Albanian flag. He comes on the stage, and then he stays there. And he will read, you know, let all the nations bless you, O Lord. Let all the nations bless you. Then, you know, in his language, we can't take, we used to take everyone reading, now we can't because there's so many of them. So some of them just come through, some of them will stay and read. And it goes, everybody clap. The next nation, so it's almost like the Olympics, you know, they come with their flags. And it's such an amazing day. It, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of thought, a lot of finances. But it's just about one of the best things that we do. People come to see it and they cannot believe such unity. And I always keep the nation of England till the last. Because... Well, in the early days, you know, or I tell everybody, make up, make an effort. You know, when the church was like 100, 200, all the nations would make an effort. The English would turn up in there. In the, in the. I'm like, okay, I get it. This is who you are. I like it, but I want them to really love you and look up to you. So give me the best you got. An Arsenal t-shirt won't cut it. So, you know, and they're like, well, what can we, I'm like, okay. Dress up like you're going to a wedding. Oh, we can do that. Oh, yeah. And so there now they will dress up really. Because I'm so passionate about this nation. You know, it's a, it's sometimes I meet English people, they're not passionate about their own nation. What in the world is that? No, no patriotism, no passion. This is a good, the gospel went from this nation to many parts of the world. So I help them, not in that tone, really different tone. <laughs> so I help them. And they dress up so well now. And I keep them to the last because I will say, after all this noise, all the nation, then I will say, okay, everybody, wait. 
we all get to live in this nation. And this is a blessed nation. We love this nation. We love our queen. We love what God is doing. Wherefore, we pray for this nation. We don't come here. Any of you come from a different nation, you haven't come here to plunder this nation, but to dwell in it and to marry uh, Jeremiah 29 and to love the people and to make the difference for in its blessing will be your blessing. And so we thank God for this nation. The final nation is England. Well, everybody shouting for England. I even get them flags, little flags. England is the only one that gets it. Everyone waving. And then I play the land of hope and glory. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I, do, I do all this crazy stuff. And, and really, subliminally beneath all of that is a true conviction on the inside. The Lord placed you here that you might make a difference for his glory. And many of those people are going to go back to their own nations with a different mindset. I tried, I don't know if it will work, I tried to put a... Uh, oh, there's no audio. But... Um, Where's the microphone? There's one other one I'll just show you real quickly, and uh, I will you keep quiet. welcome to this wonderful International Day event, and uh, no matter where you have come from, you are going to have a wonderful, wonderful time in Jesus' name. Can you shout amen to that? Jamaica for you. That's the Filipino. All oh, the Nigerians, I think.
That's it. Thank you so much. Okay, well, thanks, Toppy. I think you get the idea. <laughs> we could get the flags out now, couldn't we? We could have some fun. <laughs> I know, like Toppy, what it feels like to live in a country which is not your own. I grew up in Pakistan. I've worked in Africa. And something gets in your soul about what the kingdom is. And do you know what? The Olympics is a shadow get emotional about it, but you're getting emotional about a shadow of what you've just seen is the reality. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. Just as I'm listening to Toppy. sensing all God's building what he wants to do let's just pray shall we Let maybe Toppy pray for us just pray for us that Father we that we may come to where you are thine is the power and the glory and the kingdom and you want us to mimic all that is in heaven. And we want to, Lord. We thank you for what you've done in us, but we say, birth it again and again and afresh on the inside of us so that the fire burns in our hearts and in our souls that we can draw people from every nation, every tribe, that people will come to see your church and see unity like they can never see anywhere else. So, Lord, we pray, give us the wisdom, give us the passion, give us the hunger, Lord, to do this work, that you be glorified here in the earth. That, Lord, with the opportunities as you brought the nations to our doorstep, let us go beyond mere words to really doing it, having our arms out and embracing them and being Jesus to a troubled people. So that at the end of it, Father, people will come to know you, Lord do something. Let us not leave this place the same, but change something inside us permanently for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you just stay there, Toppy, let's just take one or two questions. I just felt need to pray first of all. You probably identify the reason for that because it's a work of the Holy Spirit that's going on right in the depth of us. And seminars are about sowing seeds and they're seeds that change. And any seminar I'm involved with is about change, about sowing the seeds of vision, scripture, and uh, stories and ideas. So we've got the microphone. We've got two questions. I see Keith immediately there, Sheena. Um, so we're going to bring a microphone over just so that we can capture the question for the... If you take this microphone over to Keith just to ask Toppy a question. Toppy, um, obviously not being originally English yourself, yeah. it's, it strikes me as it's probably easier for you to celebrate England at the end of your celebration and make a big deal about England. As an English pastor, I would naturally get more 
uh, careful about doing that because I don't want to sound like I'm just bigging up England. Have you got any advice for me and for others like me? Well, you know, when I talk about building wisely, that's exactly the kind of thing that I, that I mean. So thanks for pointing that out. You're right. As an English pastor, and especially if the context is, your context is very Caucasian, very English, and so, then you might not want to do it that way. Uh, with us in London, where I live, uh, it is needed to be done this way. And like I said, there's a message I'm trying to get across. So my advice to you would be, you might not want to do it that way. You just let England be one of the many nations, you know. And uh, what I would do, though, as the church grows, it, so for you, the emphasis might be, you know, as a nation, we have been blessed. And our hearts are open to all people from other nations. Now the last nation is England. Let us thank God for this nation. Well, I, it's, it's, a, it's slightly different, but I mean, that's very wise what you said there. If you do what I do, did there, in, you know, I don't know where, Aberystwyth, this might not go so well. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to get some water there. Is this drinking water? I just point out there's, a, there's an interesting point here which is about Welsh, Scottish, Irish, English. So that's a contextualized issue of integration which is very, very relevant in our national life, which I just add in as an interesting point. Let's take another question. There was a hand up here. This gentleman here. Thank you ever so much for sharing about the importance, uh, immensity, power of diversity. Um, I just wonder if you could say a little bit more about how that would look and expressed to other churches within our communities, towns and cities, and towards other churches outside New Frontiers as we seek to fellowship with them more and more. Um, I'm not sure I fully understand how... Just help me a little bit. Yeah, just um, in terms of with fellowship and seeking diversity, which is wonderful within our own churches, how would that look like as we try to get alongside other churches within our cities and communities and not necessarily churches within New Frontiers? Yeah, very how, how would that look like? Yeah, good question. I think that the way that I would tend to do that is I try to befriend the leader first. And not everybody is going to get it, sad to say. So I'm really looking for the man of peace that gets it. And over time, and we're talking, and I see that this, this person isn't just labeling everything racism. They really capture the heart of the gospel they want to do. So, and then if where that works, one of the things we've done in the past, we've had both two churches come together and just celebrate diversity or whatever, things like that. But usually I find the leadership level is the point where if things are gotten right there, things go well everywhere else. When it comes to other churches that are not New Frontiers churches, you need to know we work with, I work with anyone who wants to help anyone express the kingdom. Not just New Frontiers, you know. So, yeah, so we would, we would wherever it's going to work and they get the heart of the gospel, that's where we go. It's a good question. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was 
I could wait till Tuesday. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wonder if within the multicultural diversity, you could say something about the diversity of age groups, because I think elderly, older people find it much harder to assimilate new ideas. And um, we have different ways of raising children in different cultures. I wonder if you have anything you'd like to say about that. Yeah, I, I find the more I study diversity, I go way beyond race now. I have to go into other things because it's expressed in different uh, generational age and so on. I think that you're right. Different people bring up, for example, children in different ways. And now there I would try to halt a little bit and study where this way is coming from. What is the meaning behind it? If I just cut off or decapitate an expression, it wounds the people in a way that sometimes is not necessary. So I try to go to the meat. What's the genesis of it? Because sometimes the genesis of it is good and biblical. Sometimes it's not. And then from there, I try to change things. You're right. In our churches, different ages and different, there's some things. that I was in a church just, you know, this past Sunday in Africa, you know, and I thought what I was seeing here was great, but if you were 70, 60, 70 year old, this, this could almost be dangerous for you even, just the exuberance of the expression of the whole thing, <laughs> you know. So um, I, I'm still learning on some of these things, but I will say in our church we have people, you know, older than me. I, I make a big deal of them. I love them, respect them. They know me by name. I go to their homes, and I'm always setting up their area. So they will always have reserved seats. They will always have all kinds of things every time, the, the older people. Because it's a biblical issue for me, by the way. It's not just a safety issue. It's you should respect your elders and so on. So wherever, as I see those situations, I will think it through. I will think it through, work it through the scriptures, and then I'll bring a practical solution in whatever way it is. I hope that helps. Thank you. Toppy, I'm part of the church in Leeds. Um, we're becoming a little bit more diverse and have more visitors from migrant communities. Um, one of the biggest challenges we have from people from an international background, from poorer backgrounds is that they work um, on a weekends, they work zero-hour contracts, they work on a weeknights, um, and I get really frustrated how difficult it is just to meet with them and just to build relationships. Is that something you've come across, and have you got any advice for how we can go about trying to deal with those challenges? Yeah, that is a, uh, that's a big deal, big issue. Yes, I have come across it. We continue to come across it, and uh, there's, there are just no easy solutions to it. Um, when people come from other countries uh, as migrants, they, it takes, I reckon, somewhere between five to ten years just to settle down to the place where you have the semblance of a routine that clicks and works. Because when they come, there's a whole lot of mentality there, most of which is a survival mentality. And so when they get a job and you're like, oh, well, we have a small group, this does not compute to them because they have to save, they have to work, they have to. So it just takes a long time. Solution to it. So by the way, what I mean there is them coming to small groups, them being there on Sundays, they'll do any rotor, any shift, anything going. 
So it's a matter of me having to help them change the mindset. Um, sorry, give me one second. You know, I once met a lady who, this is a very sensitive um, uh, illustration, but I once met a lady who, when I went there to preach different parts of the world in Africa, she was just such a large lady. Really, really. That's the first thing that you would see, and not mildly so. So it was a big deal. And no one would talk about it or question it, but it was kind of almost killing her off, really. It was a problem. When I sat down to speak to them and asked what the issues were, and and just... They came from a war zone and for, would go for days without food. And then finally you get a little bit of food you would eat. And then they walk all the way. They're walking from one part of the country to another. It was terrible. Finally, they got to a place where they could settle down. And any time you served food, she would eat it all. Every time. And somehow something just went wrong and just could not stop. There's a survival instinct sometimes that if not tempered and worked through, it, it leads to something very bad. A milder version is what we're talking about here. When people have left their homes and their native land and their everything, the survival instinct kicks in. You're working all the hours. Then, after a while, materialism follows in. So that even when they do have materialism, is taking over and they've gone in a different trajectory. How do we sort it out? I think by a lot of preaching, teaching, by a lot of wherever we can adjust and be flexible and make things work for them, you know, uh, for small groups, whatever it is that we can do. And wherever they are not attending anything, I choose not to say they're not committed. I choose to say we have to be extra committed to just keep being there for them. Because, sad to say, at some point, something negative happens. And now they're going to have to discover your help does not come from the workplace. Your help comes from the Lord and from the house of the Lord. And at that point, things begin to reel back in. But it's not an easy thing. But be there for them. By the way, find somebody who can champion, who has a heart for them, who can go around, phone them up, how are you doing? Yeah, you know, and any little thing they can do, applaud it and support it as best you can. Well, folks, we've, uh, we have run out of time. We promised to finish at this time. So although we'd love to stay on and ask Toppy more questions, uh, you're very welcome to do that privately. He's here all day, um, and he's speaking this evening. <laughs> I don't think you like that statement. That's tough. That's what ministry's like. Yeah. Um, so, Spoken um, like a true Englishman. <laughs> absolutely, true as they come. Um, if you wanted to find out more about Jubilee Plus, do get on our email contact list. The details are over there. But as we conclude, one final show of appreciation to Toppe for a wonderful oh, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Great. So enjoy your lunch and all the fun in the afternoon. And come and listen to Toppe this evening. It's going to be a great evening. Uh, tonight. God bless you all and see you tomorrow if you want to come with us. We're talking about welfare. Matt Cameron's with me. It's going to be a great session tomorrow as well.